do know that the northern kingdom went into Assyrian captivity in 722. Southern kingdom of Judah went into Babylonian captivity in about 586. Almost 50 years later, Persia conquered Babylon. And the king of Persia, Cyrus, issued a decree authorizing any of the Israelites who wanted to to go back to the Holy Land. And about 50,000 of them do in the book of Ezra. Now, one of the first orders of business after they get back is rebuilding the temple. Babylon had conquered the temple, demolished it, burned it. It's just a heap of rubbish. And they want to rebuild the temple. Now, can you see any significance to rebuilding the temple? Why would they want to do that? So they can worship God again. So they can worship God again because it's true that the temple was the special place where they came to worship. Why was it that they worshiped God in the temple as opposed to other places? What was so special about the temple? Yes, the temple was the grace of God's presence. Now, I don't mean by that that God was in other places. You can't find God in the house, but he had chosen to make, to reveal his presence in a special way in this house, a place where the people could come and encounter God. And so if the people care about having God with them in a special way, you build his house back, so you can have this place of encounter with God. Now, when they start to rebuild the house, they do it in a large pack. I don't know if you've ever built but it's kind of what you ordered to build. When you start building, what do you start with? The roof. The foundation. That's what they start with, and they started with the foundation and stopped after they got the foundation line. There was some opposition, there were some other things, and they just quit. For like 15 or 16 years, they didn't build on the house. Is that a foundation? And that's it. And he had the chapter 5. About 15 or 16 years after they stopped, Ezra 5 1, when the prophets, after the prophets, and Zechariah said, of Israel, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah, Jerusalem, in the name of the God of Israel, who was over them. Then Jerubal, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Joseph, arose and began to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem where the prophets of God who lived there supporting them. These two prophets that we're going to study, Haggai and Zechariah, are the two prophets that got the people stirred up to rebuild again on the temple. And they worked through the two main leaders of the people, Zerubbabel the governor, who was the political leader, Joshua the high priest, who was the spiritual leader. And together with the people, they began rebuilding the temple. That took a lot. It took about four years to get it done. Not an easy project. But it was Haggai and Zechariah that God used to get them stirred up to rebuild that temple. So that's the setting of what we're going to look at now in the book of Haggai. Do you have any questions or comments? Don't one person do all the talking, but anytime you've got a question, comment, whatever, you can just say it out. You don't have to wait to be recognized. When I give you passages to read, just read them and things like that. So, Haggai, would somebody read chapter 1, verses 1 through 11? As I 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, This people says, The time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be revoked. The word, then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have so much, but harvest little. You eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there is not enough to be drunk. You put on clothing, but no one has worn them. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse of holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountains, bring wood, and rebuild the temple, that I may be pleased with it, be glorified, says the Lord. You look much, but behold, it comes too little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts. Because my house, which lies desolate, while each of you runs to his own house. Therefore, because of you, the sky has withheld its dew, and the earth has withheld its praise. I called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, and on all the labor of your hands. Why? So we take this prophecy by the rain of Moses. Darius, who was the king of what? Persia, which is not normal. Most of the prophets are dated by the reigns of the kings of where? Israel and Judah. Why not this prophet? They don't have a king. They are under the dominion still of the Persian king Darius. And this prophecy probably is, uh, we're pretty sure, August the 29th, 520 B.C. By, by the time we get down this far in history, we can usually date things pretty carefully. Um, and uh, so the message of God comes to Haggai. As far as we know from the scriptures, this is the first time God has spoken since the return from the Haggai. So this is pretty exciting. They've spoken to these, they're speaking to these people through, through Haggai. And uh, Haggai speaks to these two leaders and he gives them God's message. Now here's God's message in verse 2. And God's message quotes them. This people said in verse 2. That's kind of an interesting way to say it. Usually, how does God speak of the Israelites? Not as this people, but as mine. Not call them my right here. This people said, look what they said. The time has not come. Even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. It's not time yet to rebuild the Lord's house. Now what did that tell you about them? They weren't focused on God. They really didn't care about what. And even more fundamentally, they didn't really care about what? What God said, and they didn't really care about what? Think about the significance of the temple. Yes! They didn't really care whether God lived with them or not! They didn't care whether God was present with them or not! If they didn't care, they were building the house! You know, think about this. I don't know, maybe you ever had a situation where like you had a grandparent or somebody who'd come and live with you for a while. Sometimes that happens. Uh, you know, what, what would happen if, uh, you know, maybe uh, maybe one of the parents of your parents needed to, needed to come and, and live. And your parents kind of needed to build on a, a room or a bathroom or something important. 
And if they did, they built a place. That's what this really shows. That's what this seems to God. I just love the time. Well, what made this worse is verse 4. The word of the Lord came to Haggai saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? Huh. What have they found time to do? Build their own houses and decorate them, just not the house of God. Now, what you do with your time and your resources says what? Your priorities yeah. What you priorities are. What you really care about. If you care about something, you don't put the time and the effort into it. They cared about where they lived. They didn't care about God living with That's what this shows. God was not any too pleased about this situation. He says in verse 5, something he says several times in this book, consider your ways. Wake up, guys, and look at what's happening. And he says in verse 6, things are not going very well for you all. You're doing all this work and you never seem to get anything to show for it. It's like you're putting all your money into a bag that has holes in it and coming out the other end. You know, so they're in kind of an economic depression. Wonder why. You know, he's trying to get them to connect the dots here. So again, the Lord says in verse 7, consider your ways. And by the way, how does the Lord keep identifying himself in this book as the Lord of hosts? Hosts? What's that host? What does he mean he's the Lord of when he says the Lord of hosts? The other classes have good answers. You guys are older, what do you think? He's above all. Yeah, but what are the hosts he's the Lord of? Everyone? Even over the kings. Even the hosts of heaven, which would be like what? The angels. Yeah, I really think the Lord, the Lord of hosts, means not only the earthly ones, but even the heavenly ones. He's the great God and King. You better listen to him. This is no ordinary, you know, godlet that's talking. This is the great sovereign God, the Lord of hosts. When he says, continue your way, you're going to do it. So, I love verse 8. What does he tell them to do? But he doesn't just say rebuild the temple. What does he break it down to? Go to the mountains and get the wood. Now, what's the first step if you're going to build something? Got to get the stuff to build it with. What would happen if you decide to build a house? Got all the hammers, got all the nails, got all the saws and one thing other. You didn't get any lumber. <laughs> what you going to do with all that equipment without any raw materials? So he breaks it down into baby steps. You know, here's the ABCs, guys. Go to the mountains, down some trees, break the wood. You know, but sometimes we need that. Sometimes we really need to focus on what are the steps in detail I need to take. 
kind of like this. How many of you would really like to grow more spiritual? Well, that's good. Now, what if you just leave it at that? You know, I really want to grow more. Reckon you're going to do that? What you really got to do is think, okay, now that I'm going to grow more, what have I got to do? And what you really need to focus on is what's the next step? You know, if I'm going to grow more, what's the first logical thing I've got to do? And put your effort in the back. Then what's the next step you need to take? And keep working on that a step at a time. God breaks it down for them. Go to the mountains. Get the wood. Rebuild the temple. And uh, then I will be pleased with it and be glorified. Come into question through verse 8. Yes? Other 
12 to 15. In Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the twenty-fourth day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius. It worked. Haggai's message, the people listened, they responded, and they started working on the temple. And God really wanted to encourage their beginning efforts. And so he sends a message, I am with you, verse 13. And he stirred up these people to build the temple back. Yeah, in, in Ezra 1.5, the Lord had stirred them up to go back. Now he stirs them up through uh, Haggai and Zechariah's preaching to start working again on building the temple. So, they are working, and God is with them and is pleased with what they're doing. Comments or questions? All right, that does not solve all the problems. In chapter 2, we're going to see some of the problems that we face in this rebuilding situation. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. He tackles it openly. He says, you know, 
How does it seem to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? And God deals with that discouragement. Sometimes we face that. Sometimes we start really working the word of the Lord. It seems like things don't go anymore. It seems like we don't really have much impact. It seems like it's really nothing compared to what other people have done in other times or places. And it's discouraging. Like we're working, but it's really not that glorious. Well, look at what the Lord says to them to try to encourage them. Several things here. In verse 4, what does he tell them to do? Be strong. Take courage. I am with you. That's what really matters. What the temple looks like is not really important. It's the presence of the Lord that matters. Sometimes they might have gotten more caught up with the physical magnificence of the structure than with the real significance that, that is that the Lord was present. He says, I am with you. So that's one thing he says to encourage them. He says, it's just like when I brought you out of Egypt, I told you I'm with you, I'm still with you. And not only that, but what was God going to do in verses 6 and 7? Yes, and all the nations. And when God shook all these things, what was going to fall out? All this wild of all the nations, and where was that going to go? Yes, so this temple was going to become glorious. After all, God says, the silver and the gold are mine. You know, I, I'll, I'll see to it that they go in the right place. And so, he says, the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. So was Joshua Drupal's temple even more magnificent than Solomon's had been? By the way, while you're pondering that, I always forget to say, but anytime you get sleeping, you want to stay that long. Um, so, yeah, I mean, remember, Joshua's Jerusalem's temple got more gold and silver in it than what Solomon's did? I don't think that's the point. When you think about the latter temple, I don't think that he was just talking about ladder in the sense of what Joshua Zerubbabel's temple is. Because Joshua Zerubbabel's temple would be fulfilled in an even greater and more glorious How was God going to come and be with his Do you remember what word in the New Testament means God with us? Emmanuel, Matthew 1, that's Jesus' name. So I think he's saying that God was going to go even beyond what he'd ever done before, and he was going to come and dwell with his people in an even more glorious way than he had even in Solomon's day. The latter glory? The latter glory, if you're thinking about Jesus, is way better than the glory even of Solomon's temple. You can't, you can't even describe how glorious Jesus' presence with us and God's presence with us today is 
much quicker than just having his presence located in the physical So I think Haggai, God is revealing something to Haggai that goes even beyond the physical temple that he's building. Comments and questions about that? Probably many of them didn't. You see people think pretty slow a lot of times throughout the, the Bible. But I think it was understandable. I think if they continued to meditate on it, particularly as time went on, I think it, it was possible to understand. Other questions or comments? Quite right, does it? 
something holy doesn't make what it touches holy, but something unclean makes what it touches unclean. But if you stop and think about it, in that kind of way it is. What if you take a drop of, of milk and put it in a glass of water? Does it make a glass of water dirty? Well, what if you put a drop of water in a glass of milk? Does it make the glass of milk clean? No. So we're kind of used to that. What about this? Can you catch a cold from somebody? Can you catch good health from them? No. It's like, you know, it's a whole lot easier to mess something up than to get it right. Now, he's going to make a point about that in verse 14. He says, so is this people, and so is this nation before them. And so is every word of their hands and what they offer there is understanding. His point is, when we're not serving the Lord faithfully, it messes up everything we do. It's not like we often think about. We often think, well, I know I'm not doing right here and here, but I'm really good over here. So we kind of balance it out. You know, kind of make up for my problems here, but do an extra good somewhere else. Doesn't work like that. My famous illustrations are like what what would happen if one day you uh, went into McDonald's and shut off the place, and you kill a half a dozen people, and then you go before the judge and you say, "Well, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I shouldn't kill a half a dozen people, but if you really look at it." There's a whole lot more people I didn't kill than the ones that I did. So I should be okay. Is that the way that it should work? Doesn't quite work that way, does it? You know, you can't, you can't just say, well, I only did a few things wrong. Therefore, it's okay. You know, just how many drops of filth would you want in your water before you don't want to drink it? So he's saying, here's why you got all these problems. You, you didn't rebuild my house. You didn't do what I said. And therefore, it's messed everything up. And that's why, you know, you, you aren't getting any return on your crops, verse 16. Because I smote it with blasted wind and mildew and hail. I think part of their problem right here is they started work on the temple and still they were having problems. Shouldn't God have fixed everything the moment they started working on the temple? Can't you imagine them three weeks, in, three weeks into the work and still they're hungry? Well, God, we worked for three weeks now. Well, you can't just, you know, snap your fingers and suddenly there's no consequences to the way you lived in the past. But look at what God says mercifully. He says, consider that from this day, verse 18, and again, the end of 19, from this day on, I will bless you. This is the day. This is the turning point. From this day on, I will bless you. So they were a couple months into the work, and he says, okay, starting now, the, the, the seed's going to germinate, and the crops are going to bang, and I'm going to bless you. So they had those two problems, the depression, the discouragement that doesn't look like much, the new temple, and the fact that they still had problems even after they started rebuilding. Comments and questions? Uh, anything through 219? 
20 to 23. And he was going to exalt 